This is CliffCentral.com. I am buzzing with excitement here at CliffCentral.com. Uncensored, unadulterated, and unfiltered. You are listening to Professor David Block, and we hear the Saturn V engines roaring as we are about to tackle one of the most exciting topics of this week. Before I tell you what it is, if you want to reach me in studio, please dial 0861-555-189. That's 0861-555-189. And the most popular way of reaching me is on the WeChat ID. And I don't know why people love that more than Twitter or Facebook, but there we go. The WeChat ID is Cliff Central. Today, in looking up with David Block, I just want to tackle a topic which has made the headlines in the social media, the Twitter pages, and the Twitter is a buzz about something in our country. And that is, it's, we read, the Twitter is a buzz after the sighting of a UFO, which is an unidentified flying object, sighted over Cape Town. And uh, I see here, Duncan, it says Nicholas Frost is on tweet. What does he say there, Duncan? Uh, Nicholas Frost, Professor? Yes, says everyone's tweeting about a UFO. Now, the interesting thing is, um, what could this have been? And do astronomers believe in UFOs? And he, who sees them? Have you ever seen one, Duncan? Something that is um, not a not uh, a UP for unidentified person, but um, a UFO. Uh, have you ever seen something that you've never been able to identify in the skies, Duncan? Uh. Not, nothing, nothing ever professor. Okay, well that's a lovely answer To to kick the show off with David Block uh, Duncan's, uh, you know, I love it There was a tweet at Duncan last week saying Why not call this little podcast and crossing uh, The professor and Duncan, his student And I think that's just so neat I just love it, interacting with Duncan But Duncan um, is very profound what he's just said Because he has said that he's never looked up well, that doesn't sound good. He looks up all the time. <laughs> yeah. But what Duncan is saying is that he's never looked up and at the same time seen an unidentified flying object. So let's take an imaginary crossing. Professor, let me stop you right yeah, there. Yeah, you stop me where you need to stop. What might be unidentifiable to me. Yes. To the second person who's an aviation expert. Yes. That might be identifiable to him. Absolutely. I think that that is a key point here, Duncan, is that we're speaking about an unidentified object. But I suppose it's just like if you take a forensic expert at an accident scene. To us, the person might be unidentifiable. Mm. To the forensic expert, they might say, well, you know, this person is person A, B, or C, and they, moreover, the forensic expert, Duncan, would know how to treat the person because, you know, or to look at the murder scene or whatever that happens to be, it's not, I guess it's just the same as coming onto a crime scene. It, to the novice, it looks, everything looks unidentifiable, mm. but to the forensic experts, everything is identifiable. True. So the point really is here is 
What Duncan is saying to me is we need to walk along a path of wisdom. We need to ask people uh, what this could be, people trained in the area. Mm. And that's why, Duncan, I'm so thrilled that Gareth and Rena invited me to join Cliff Central because I'm here each week to tell you, to share uh, of one's uh, knowledge, wearing one's hat as an astronomer, what this might be. So the the key point is uh, the public are saying it's unidentifiable. Now, firstly, what did they see? Well, according to the media, which and Duncan's just, you can just Google this for yourself, Green Lights Cape Town. If you just... Punch that into your little laptop. Green lights, Cape Town. You'll see web page after web page coming up, and it says, "Still no answers on mysterious green UFO lights in Cape Town." Well, here's a little joke, and I thought it's so nice. Uh, Sia gave it to me, and he said, "You know, Duncan, the robots work so infrequently here in Gauteng that when a robot does work and it turns green, we call it a UFO." <laughs> oh, Sia! <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think that is just so nice. I think that's the joke of the week. Sia's <laughs> joke of the week is that uh, you know <laughs> a working robot these days He's spot is, on is so extraordinary that you know, <laughs> a young kid who's been sleeping and then suddenly sits up and says, Mama, what's that? <laughs> and the mama says, I don't know. That's a UFO. We better call the professor. That's a UFO. So I think we're heading that way, Duncan, mm. with all the robot cuts just before Christmas. It's tragic. You know, sometimes I find myself in traffic a kilometer or too long mm. because of UFOs. <laughs> Not... Um, not unidentified ones, but identified. So I think Sia gets top prize. If I was, uh, you know, in the American League of what the golfers earn, I think he deserves that prize today. So, still no answers on any mysterious green light. So, what did they actually see? Well, you know, according to what I understand, they saw lights in the sky, many lights in the sky. Now, if you were to ask me as a professor what those could be, my first instinct would be not to dramatize the situation, but my first instinct, Duncan, is actually an interesting one. Could it be a marketing campaign? Have you ever thought of that? Is that and when a company starts off and they want to really create a buzz or a hype, you know they have these big laser lights which are, you know, roaming up in the skies. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, the rays are sent in all directions, beaming up. They're incredibly powerful lights. I don't know. I mean, it could well be that there was a company uh, maybe you know, about to launch next year, and they were testing out their lights. I mean, it can be as simple as that. But what I'd like to say is this, is that I spend my entire life looking up. I think I'm so privileged in that, is that I spend every day, even if I'm book writing, I spend each and every day looking up. I just love interacting with people, inspiring them to look up. I love interacting with Duncan. He helps me to look up. And so I spend my life looking up. I spend my life traveling to the world's great observatories. And if you just punch into Google, for example, the Keck Observatory, K-E-C-K, 
Keck Observatory in Hawaii. You'll see where I go to study heavenly bodies. Maybe that's the best one, number two. See us is joke number one, Duncan. But how do you like that, studying heavenly bodies? The guy just before me said, you know, he's going to check out all the local Nigerian ladies. Is that right, Duncan? I'm not sure if I heard that right. No, I think that was me, Professor. Oh, that was you. All right. So Duncan wants me to check out all the Australian ladies too, which is quite a task because the word all to a professor of applied maths is do not exclude one. But here is on the web page is, um, is this. You see a massive dome. Now, what's very interesting about this dome, if we go to it, is that it's above the clouds. The Keck Observatory is actually above the clouds. There we are. Here we have a beautiful sighting. Do Google this, just www.keckobservatory.org. And, I mean, there it is. And, I mean, I've been there. I've, it's awesome. You are so high. Let me just explain what one has to do to reach these heights. Uh, you have to, first of all, fly to Hawaii, which is around a 36-hour trip from South Africa. You would fly from here to New York, which is 18 hours. Then you've got to cross all the way, probably to Chicago, and then San Francisco, Los Angeles. I've done that. And then you fly Duncan to Hawaii. Imagine being in a plane for 36 to 48 hours, Duncan. That's a whole day, Prof. Would you be willing to do that? I mean, do you think it's, I mean, seriously, here I am at 61, and I still find it a great challenge. I mean, I love going there, but it's a long wait. It's a long time, Duncan. Passion will pull you through, Professor. There you go. That's why I do what I do, because passion, Duncan says, will pull me through. And, well, that is needed today, Duncan. I just think that's just awesome. So, to get back to our central train of thought, and I know exactly where I'm taking you today, of course, is that when I travel to these distant observatories, like the Keck Observatory in Hawaii, one travels in a 4 by 4 above the clouds on, on a mountain top. You find this observatory, but it's way up. There's a fantastic, there's a beautiful, there's a stunning, there's a majestic image here of the two Keck telescopes. See, Duncan, Keck 1 and Keck 2. It's not uh, very innovative names. Uh, I see it, Professor. How much is it above sea level? We're 14,000 feet up. So, um, in other words, uh, uh, it's, it is, I mean, it is just stunning to think that if you look at the cloud levels here outside, you're going to go above those cloud levels, double that, and you'll be above the clouds. I mean, it's extraordinary. As you know, uh, 10,000 meters uh, typical is the typical height at which um, uh, jet craft might fly, for example, at around 10,000, uh, 30,000 feet. So, you know, that, that's the sort of level you are looking at here is at around 9,000, um, you know, around that in uh, meters. Now, the point really is, is that you are so high that even if the clouds are covering uh, terrestrially your house, you can actually drive through the clouds. Can you see that, Duncan? I can see that. In other words, you actually go, see these, these roads there? Mm. You, you're on the mountain, but this mountain is so high that you actually drive through the clouds. It's the most awesome feeling to actually 
drive through clouds. I mean, that is that is just unbelievable. It's very dreamy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're at around fourteen thousand feet over here. Uh, you can check that out, I suppose, just by googling again Keck Observatory and its altitude. But I'm sure I'm spot on. So when we go to these observatories. We, of course, observe the sky day in and night, night after night after night. And I have never in my entire career, and I spend my entire career looking up, and I'm just looking what it looks like right now, the Keck Cloud Cam Archive. I mean, that's really neat, is the local time in Hawaii now, I believe, would be about 14.13, but 12 hours Difference. So, in other words, it's a two t- two a.m. in the morning, thirteen minutes past two in the morning. Whereas here, it is thirteen minutes past two in the afternoon. That, that that's really how far away it is that if you had to cut the Earth in half, you'd literally hit the antipode. So, we open our telescope domes at night. It's often very very cold at the Keck observatories. Uh, you are, you know, uh, as I say, more than your your halfway station is generally, say, Hali Pahako, which is at 9,000 feet. And here you're going to 14. So you're really going over 4,000 meters and more up. So you're really traveling up above the clouds. Now, the key point is that we spend our lives looking at the night skies. And, of course, I'm very privileged to study galaxies and stars and the birth of stars and the death of stars and so on. But do you know, Duncan, that in my entire lifetime, and I don't know how many hours I've spent gazing upwards, but uh, I've never seen a UFO. Prof, there is no UFO. I think There are is, no aliens. Yeah, Prof. I think that... Um, I would totally agree with that. Uh, none, let me put it to you this way. If anybody should see a UFO, it should be an astronomer. Why? Mm. Because that's our job. That's where we're looking. We're looking, we're spending our entire lives looking up through the world's largest telescopes many times, but we're looking through the world's largest telescopes, always looking up. Always scanning the skies, looking at the vast Milky Way, looking at a 100,000 million stars in our galaxy, looking to other galaxies 20 million light years away, 40 million light years away, 60 million light years away, in the, in the case of the Virgo cluster, 20 megaparsecs and so forth. But none of my colleagues ever sight them. This is very interesting, is that all the UFO sightings are made by the public. Now, what does that tell me? First of all, I think one needs to wear a very careful hat here. I think that it's very important for us to know that the public are looking up and that they are seeing things. But I would very much agree with Duncan's viewpoint that there are no UFOs. That is my central take here. In other words, an object remains unidentifiable as we've just said, until it's identifiable. 
it seems trite, but it's true, is that, you know, to a novice, to anyone, any of my students gazing up, you know, and seeing a green light, you immediately start saying UFO, and then you start thinking an alien, and then it used to be an alien from Mars, Duncan. Now it's no longer from Mars because we know there's no life on Mars. So now it's aliens from space. And, uh, you know, I suppose in Cape Town they imagined that maybe there would be a storming of Parliament. I don't know, Duncan, but maybe they were worried that the UFOs were coming down. But the key point is this. If anybody should be observing these UFOs, mm. it should be us, if anybody. Now, Duncan, you've looked up. I mean, not as much as I've looked up in terms of the night sky, but... You've never seen something that you didn't know it what it was. Is that what you're telling me? It's it's true, Professor, but I I can gladly tell you that I can identify all the birds that I see flying in my night sky. Yes, well, that's just awesome. That is just awesome. So um, Duncan's just brought out something interesting called UFO sightings in South Africa this year. And it says huge UFO over South Africa and Malaysia debunked. I think mm. the excitement for all of this, Professor, really comes from, uh, you know, well, growing up watching all these movies. All, yes. All these aliens would land in America. All these UFOs would be spotted in America. But finally, we've just had so-called interaction or we've observed UFOs here down in Africa. Yes. Yes. I think that is right. I think, Duncan, that what we're looking at here is a very interesting scenario of what we call media hype. Mm. Um, it used to be media hype Now it can also be Photoshop hype um, I remember very well I don't know if you do Duncan But when Madiba got married to Grasa They on Photoshop recreated the wedding With Grasa dressed in a wedding dress And Madiba standing And they hadn't got married yet It was wow. all done on what Photoshop What they did is They took a picture of Grasa standing up They took a picture of Madiba standing up They put the two together They dressed him in his clothes They dressed her in her wedding dress And they actually showed it uh, on the web You could actually see them getting married Before the wedding took place Or before she was even dressed in the wedding dress um, And uh, I mean that is just uh, Oh uh, my word It's Duncan is extraordinary He's drawn up some images here Of Madiba and Grasa photoshopped I mean that is just it's. What does this tell you Duncan You really can't believe what you see uh, un until you see it with your very own eyes. But well, we'll that's you. right. Well, that's right. Until you see it with your very own eyes. And so that is the challenge is show me a UFO or show me an object in the night sky which I have not identified. And that's a challenge to you today as you looking up with Professor David Block is show me an object. Show me one. That I would look upon and say, this lies in the category of being um, unidentifiable. So, why the hype? Well, I suppose that you and I are always driven for a quest to know that there's somebody else out there that we are not alone. Now, Duncan, when you look up at the sky and the stars and the planets... Do you ever feel lonely? I mean, why do you think so many people need friends up there? <laughs> uh, I know it's a very hard question, mm. but it's a very difficult question. But then my question to all of our 
everyone listening to these podcasts and these feeds is why, oh, why do we need friends out there? I've got enough friends. I've got awesome jewels right here in the studio. Why do we need friends out there, Duncan? I mean, Professor, people on earth don't even, can't even get along together. That's you true. Know, you've got the Christians, you've got the Jews. Yep. Yep. I just wonder how it's going to be when we meet another alien. Yep. We can't even communicate with ourselves. Yep. How are we going to communicate <laughs> with an alien? That's right. And the point is, do they exist? I mean, that's the, this is the key point. So do we astronomers have any evidence whatsoever that there is something called a UFO? And my answer is no. Now, here's the reasons why. First of all, we are astronomers. We spend all our time gazing up at the night skies. We don't see it. Number two, there's a tremendous amount of space junk out there. What do I mean by space junk? I mean, for example, satellites which have been sent into orbit and which are no longer working. They've run out of their juice, their battery lifetime. They've run out of whatever has been powering them. I think of pieces of rocket. There's space debris. I mean, you just need Google space debris, and you'd probably find hundreds or thousands of uh, hits. Oh, they, they, this is interesting. Here's one. Uh, updated a creepy UFO sighting at the mid-rand N1 going viral. What was the date of this one? Ah, this was this year. That's neat. October. That's quite interesting. So, at, at this, so what's very interesting is I see this one's also been faked. They've used a 360-degree camera app from the Play Store, and it was sent as a joke. So that's what's happening. But that's not what's been happening uh, in the last couple of decades is that People have genuinely come to me. I mean, every time I've been on radio and television, people have said, Prof, what about these UFOs? And so I want to know, would it make a difference to your life or mine if if they existed? First of all, they wouldn't. I really don't believe, as Duncan says, the world is so complex anyway that, uh, I mean, here I am talking about life. In the show just before me, as I was sitting waiting, uh, they were talking about death and people dying and so forth. So you've got this huge degree of complexity. Why on, why do we spend, or why do many people spend so much of their time trying to report on objects which I believe are identifiable? It takes me back to a psychological need. And I believe the psychological need, Duncan, is that mankind, meaning men and women, are simply, now I'm talking inwardly, not outwardly, okay? But Duncan, I'm talking inwardly. Would you agree with me that they are desperately lonely? I I, I agree with that, but I think also they're just trying to cause a lot of commotion and confusing Yes. Confusion, just leaving, uh, leaving people just uh, having no no sense of belief, not yes. really knowing what to believe in. Right, and I think that's why I love uh, conducting this uh, feed today, because I love to share truth. 
on this feed. I love to wear my hat as an astronomer and share truth. And I mean, the moment this was cited, the phone was ringing. They even, I mean, they woke me up, Duncan. Don't you think that's a little rude? I mean, especially if you've been up most of the night, right? And mm. at 10 past six, it's radio stations or a TV station or whatever. Prof, what's your take on this UFO in Cape Town? Well, of course, it creates the buzz and the hype, but let, let's try and give some possibilities now. Firstly, I would say marketing campaigns. Let's never discount that. I've seen some incredibly powerful lights in the sky moving, and I've been able to identify them and track them down. So that's point number one. Point number two is the space debris. Now, as I've said, there's tremendous. I mean, just think of all the satellites that have been sent up over the eons of time. Think of all the rockets that have been sent up. Think of the stuff that has been just dumped. I mean, am I correct, Duncan, that there's a pick-it-up strike? Oh, I will tell you, uh, the other day, I think over the weekend, I was in uh, Joburg. Yes. CBD. Yes. I didn't know what was happening. There was just junk, mm-hmm. mountains of junk on every corner. Yep. Until I asked someone, what's going on? And then yep. I found out that it's an actual pick-it-up strike. Yeah, so you see, we have this in space without the strike. Um, <laughs> just look at space junk or space debris, Duncan. We, we're going to have a fun thing. I haven't done this before, but let's just see what it comes up with, space junk. And let's just see. Oh, there you are, right up. There we are. I mean, I didn't know what would come up, but there it comes up. Because I'm, I always speak, you know, no notes. I just, I'm just so passionate about what I do. But space debris, also known as orbital debris, is space junk and space waste. Well, how about that, folks? No pick it up strike in space, but there's junk everywhere. I believe it's so bad in Johannesburg, Duncan, that you can't even walk barefoot. Is that true? Professor, it's really terrible. I hated being there. So, Duncan, when you walked there, uh, I mean, is it true that if you were walking, say, with bare feet, you you can't find an, a clean space to put your foot down? Is <laughs> it as bad as that? That's absolutely true. I had to walk from Bree to North. Yes, prof. I know. I know those streets. It was terrible, Prof. Don't really? go there. Don't go there. Okay, so don't go there. Now. It's worse in space, in a sense. It's just that you've got more space out there, so it doesn't look as bad. But, Prof, but, yes. Uh, 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 just because we're the humans, can we actually call it junk and debris because it's from outer space? Because we, ah, we didn't dump it there. We did. The, the stuff I'm talking about is stuff we have dumped there. In other words, I'm talking about used-up satellites. Okay. I'm talking about used-up rockets. I'm talking about used-up spy satellites. Um, remember this. Mm. When we send a rocket into space, most of the rocket stays in space. It's jettisoned. Uh, only a tiny uh, piece, the upper part of the rocket, uh, enters the re-enters the atmosphere. A very interesting thing to do on Google, and that's why I like to have this interactive, is if one Googles Apollo 11 capsule, Apollo 11 uh, capsule, you will come up, I'm sure, with millions of hits with regard to what it actually looked like. There we go. There we are. There we are. It's just come up, the command module. There we go. And Duncan's just pulling up some images. But you'll see... There we go, there we go, is that all that's left of the rocket when it comes back to Earth. Can you see that, Duncan? I do. You see, it's a, just a tiny little capsule. That's all it is. Professor, the rest of the rocket's gone. It seems like uh, human beings are leaving a mess wherever they go. I mean, they're even polluting <laughs> space. You know, this thought to me is an amazing thought that Duncan has just shared. It's That, to me, is just true. Uh, and that's why I... <laughs> 
I think that is brilliant. I mean, wherever humans go, they leave junk. I mean, I happened to be talking KZN, uh, Duncan. It was a beach. I saw a guy, municipal, working for the municipality. I said, what are you doing underneath these bushes? He was underneath the bushes <laughs> with a, you know, with a uniform on. I said, what are you doing underneath these bushes? Are you an alien? And he said to me, Prof, well, he didn't know I was a prof because I was dressed in jeans. But the point was, he just said to me, I am picking up glass bottles of beer. So I said, how did those bottles of beer get there? In the He said to me, sir, when there's a party, the people leave bottles of glass beers under the trees and everywhere on the beach. And so, Duncan, there we are. There you've got the proof of exactly what you've said. And it's an incredible thought, and it really is, is that have you ever been to a place where human beings have been and where there isn't a mess? I mean, truly, it's it's actually an extraordinary thought. Duncan? I think the cleanest place that uh, a human being has ever left was his own mother's womb. Well... That's true. I'd agree with that. I really would. I mean, honestly, I do so much traveling, you know, especially, I mean, I'm on my way to Australia for a couple of weeks. And, you know, you're in the plane and there's a mess. And you get out of the plane and it's a mess. And you go in to a little wildlife sanctuary and it's not as pristine as you think it might be. I have a friend, Bob Garbutt. He stays out in the Lanceria Airport um, way, and uh, he has a little. He chills out there in his um, home. Tokyo Sequale also has a house there, and so I went to the the river just at their home, Duncan, mm. and I couldn't believe what I saw. If you Google crocodile river garbage or I don't know dump or whatever you want to, you know, r- rubbish, you'll s- find the most. Incredible pictures on Google. I'm sure if you were to croc- Google Crocodile River and dump, uh, you will find just the most amazing pieces of junk and rubbish and so forth. Maybe we should just put in rubbish. But, I mean, you can see there the water is certainly not clean at all. And, in fact, it's extremely serious what I'm telling you. The Crocodile River is so polluted that at the Walter Sisulu Gardens, they tell you not to even put your toe into the falling waterfalls. So, what am I saying? With regard to UFOs, I'm saying that where humans have gone, they've left a lot of junk. And that's true in space as well. There's a tremendous amount of space junk. In fact, the junk at the Crocodile Rivers, it's so serious that uh, you've just got these plastic bags. Maybe we should Google that, Crocodile River and plastic bags. But if you do that, you'll start understanding the gravity of the situation and Colin's just come online. We've really missed you, Colin. I'm thrilled to have you on board again. Our little magic spaceship before I depart, uh, to Australia next week will be my final show for 2015. And Colin says, Colin Atterbury says, hi, professor. What's your take on the wow signal? 
detected by Airman in 1977 using the big ear radio telescope. Um, you know, is it an intelligent, uh, being sending out some signals? No, 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 no. Um, there are just so many ways to create, um, <laughs> a wow signal in a radio telescope. Why? Well, just think of this. If you tuning a radio, do you remember Duncan, the days when we actually have a, had a radio, not just a little thing like that, but a radio? Yeah, yeah. And then you could tune it. Do you remember? There's a little knob, a little <coughs> button, and you could tune it. I remember. Now the point was that if you were on the station, that was fine. But if you were slightly off, it went, ooh, ooh, ooh. And do you remember that wow it created? Because you were just slightly, just ever so slightly. Modulating. Uh, ah, well, now Duncan's talking the math language. You are modulating, prop. Well, that's just awesome. I mean, Fourier series and modulation and harmonics and so on. That could drive me crazy. So let me not go down that road. But let me stay on this road of wow. The wow signals are very easy to create. I mean, you just need something in space which is not emitting exactly at the frequencies which the space telescope is attuned to. And uh, <clears throat> so Duncan has called up, it's very interesting, this actual signal which was. Now, there you go. And the wow signal was a radio signal detected by Emin in 1977. Now, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Who is he working for, Duncan? Uh, NASA? No. Just look at there. It says while he was working where? Uh, at the CT Institute. The C what does that stand for? Now, just click on that. So, we're just doing a little exercise together. There we go. He Search was part of a team searching for extraterrestrial intelligence. In other words, these folk believe mm. in extraterrestrial intelligence. Let me say this. If you believe in something strongly enough, like UFOs, you'll find them. I'm very <laughs> serious. If you believe strongly enough in a UFO, you will find one. It's, it's, it's like a belief system in the sense that if you believe it strongly enough, uh, in terms of UFOs, um, I've no doubt that you'll see something and your mind will be so conditioned to look for the thing and to call it a UFO that... Uh, so what's very interesting about this, Duncan, is that this guy was belonging to a group called SETI and they search for signs of, of transmissions from civilizations on other worlds. They, I mean, this group is committed to the belief that there's life in the universe, that there's life elsewhere in the universe. And so, you know, I'm not trying to discredit anyone, but what I am saying is that no radio astronomer that I know of who works in my domain has ever for himself discovered a wow signal. Again, I would say that there's just so many means uh, of explaining this according to scientific context and according to scientific precepts. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten up at night, Duncan, and you've heard strange noises. 
Mm, unless it's like the fridge. You know how the fridge makes this? I know. Yeah. I know. We've got one like this. It drives me crazy. We go to bed and then this fridge. Now, you imagine waking up in the middle of the night at an observatory and the fridge is going crazy, yes? You can easily say, or you could say if you're not trained, there's a UFO just touched us here because <laughs> we can't identify this. That's true. But the point is, it's unidentifiable until it's identifiable. I would say that, you know, if you want to know anything about the brain, ask a neurosurgeon, period. If you want to know anything about dental work, ask a dentist. If you want to know anything about the ear, ask an ENT. I mean, I've got a dear friend who works nearby these studios. He spends his life working on the ears. So, what's my point here? My point is that I like to place my trust within the um, neurophysiological phase space of those trained in their areas of expertise. Mine just happens to be astronomy. Mine just happens to be astronomy, and I've never observed one. So that drives me to the final point. What could it have been, the UFO sightings in Krypton? Well, maybe terrestrial, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I just don't know. But again, you can see I don't follow the hype. My next piece of logic would say this. Maybe it was space junk entering the Earth's atmosphere. Maybe. I don't know. But one thing I am sure of is that these so-called sightings of unidentified flying objects, funny enough, Duncan, they're never made by us. They're never made by us astronomers. What do you think that tells you, Duncan? It, it, it tells me that uh, the astronomers and observers like you are too busy really looking for something that probably won't uh, pitch up, whilst the people that are trying to take the shortcut always <laughs> find these things. Yes. And they're just trying to create the hype and be the guy that spotted the UFO. Yes, yes. I think that's true. I think that I think we've got two pairs of eyes. You know, Marcel Proust uh, said, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes but having new eyes. Mm. And I would love to say that if you next observe one of these so UFOs, please just phone, for example, <laughs> you know, an astronomer. Please just call someone who is skilled and trained and who was looking up the same night you were. Now, it's very interesting about the sighting of a Cape Town is that the observatories in the Cape don't don't they do not have anything on their web pages that they saw these objects uh, and that's been my point of interest over all the years that I've been privileged to share astronomy with the public going back to 1976 is that I remember I I was at school chilling in the year 1969. It was an awesome year because it was the year of Comet Bennett. And we had this incredible comet with its blazing head and its long tail. Um, B-E-N-N-E-T-T. Comet Bennett. And there we go. Oh, my. This is, brings back so many memories. I just want to cry when I see this because this is the comet I loved so much. And let's see some images of it. Uh, so we'll just go back to images of it. I see this. Yes, 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 yes. If you Google 
Do yourself a favor, folk. If you want to really look up today or tonight or whenever you're listening to me on this feed, Google Comet Bennett. It's just B-E-N-N-E-T-T. Now, can you see, Duncan, that there's this bright big ball of gas called the head of the comet? I, I do, Professor. But then can you see there these tails? Can you see the tails radiating? Now, imagine me. Here I am, a young boy in Krugerstorp, and I'm gazing. I mean, what would you do? I mean, let's just call one of these images up like that one. Imagine if you got up at 4 a.m. one morning, Duncan. What, would, what, what thoughts would cross your mind? The sky is falling. <laughs> the sky is falling. Yeah, I enjoy these so much that I think when I'm in Australia, I must pray podcasts when I'm lonely. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm traveling and speaking so much in Australia, but I'm sure there'll be a moment when I'll have withdrawal symptoms from Duncan and just everyone <laughs> on the team. And then I think I'm going to take some podcasts with me to chill while I'm on the plane. But the point really is that... These comets are extraordinary. And as Duncan said, I mean, in medieval times, people would have thought that the sky is falling. I mean, that's what they really would have thought. And the point is, I look at this image, and it takes me back to being a young schoolboy in the year 1969. And it was just absolutely awesome, Duncan. I stood out there. They were delivering milk in milk bottles and milk cans. Can you believe that? I mean, now you wouldn't even have the can. Uh, it would be stolen. Um, <laughs> but then we still had milk in the can. But now you, not only wouldn't you have the milk, you wouldn't have the can. <laughs> it's one of the great, uh, tra- one of the great misfortunes. One of the great misfortunes. That's the word I'm really looking for is that in Gauteng, I encourage people to look up, but when they look down, <laughs> their combi's gone. So I think this is a continual problem, is when we look up, the criminals are looking down at us <laughs> and surveying us. But taking me back to 1969 and to Comet Bennett, I just looked up at the night sky and I just fell in love. Duncan, I just fell in love with the awesomeness, with the grandeur. Can you see why I fell in love, Duncan? I can imagine, Professor. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, I sit here and it's like I'm a little boy playing with my toys. It's just, I just, it takes me back. And so, to the theme of UFOs. I guess to people in medieval times and even earlier, this might have been seen as the sign heralding great events. I mean, people were extremely scared when they saw these things appear in the sky. And, you know, perhaps to some or to many untrained eyes, they might have been regarded as, as unidentifiable. They didn't know what they were. I mean, you know. There's a wonderful story of Christopher Columbus being stranded on an island and um, the locals refused to give him food. And uh, so what he did was, is he looked up in his table of eclipses and he saw that there was going to be an eclipse of the sun. And so he went to the local chief and said, the sky gods are so cross with you <laughs> that the sun is going to turn black and you're going to be wiped out unless you give us food. So the local chief waits and chills. And on the appointed day, of course, there's a solar eclipse. And Columbus turns to everybody. And uh, the locals become so fearful that they run for their lives and give Columbus all the food he wants. So, solar eclipse unidentifiable? No, identifiable, but not known what it was at the time. And so, you know, yes, with regard to the massive sightings, the myriads of sightings which have been 
depicted over the grand number of years in which I've been privileged to be an astronomer, I'd like to say that uh, I've never observed them. Please remember that I traveled to Hawaii, I traveled to Australia. I don't know how many hours I spend studying objects in the night sky. I really do not know. But I think the point is you are trying, I think you are understanding, even from the tone of my voice, that I'm trying to avoid hype. I'm trying to avoid the world of mythology. I'm not trying to be a damp party squibber, as it were. I'm not trying to be, you know, someone who really just dampens the party. But I don't like a party where people are partying in a realm of mythology. Do you understand what I'm saying, Duncan? Absolutely. And so I believe that, you know, yes, we might look up and we might say, well, wow, the skies are indeed falling. But Capetonians still exist today. I trust many are listening to them, me on this feed. Uh, Capetonians exist. We exist in Gauteng. Bree Street ain't looking too good. There's a lot of space junk out there. As Duncan has so eloquently said, wherever there have been human beings, you're going to find some junk. You just need to go to the Vitz toilets and look no further. Uh, I've just come from one, and I won't say any more. So all I'll say is wherever human beings have been... They leave their trails, and so it is in the cosmos, in the world of space, and in the world of space junk. This is Professor David Block. You've been looking up in wonder. Until our next crossing, bye. At Sibania Gold, we believe leaders are made, not born. We also believe we can create a sustainable legacy by helping to develop tomorrow's leaders today. Which is why we have partnered with the Leadership Platform to nurture leaders who are committed to growing our country's economy. We are proud to say it's an initiative that's already showing glittering results. Sibanya Gold. We are one. Can you put a price on your future income? And how much will it cost you to look after your family for as long as is needed? It seems the new Road Accident Benefit Scheme has an answer. 44,000 Rand, to be exact. That's the maximum amount you'll ever receive if you're involved in a road accident. Surely, our futures are worth more than that. This message was brought to you by the Law Society of the Northern Provinces. Go to truthaboutrabs.org and add your voice. This is cliffcentral.com.